0: damn idle, and i don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title but i I hereby call this meeting of the Special People's Club officially in session.
1: Oh, man, we're just coming out with special things, huh?
0: Yeah, we have to. Oh, 1996
1: was wild.
0: It was. It was a wild, wild time. But I am so excited that we are finally talking about Todd Salon's Welcome to the Dollhouse, a movie that means so very much to me. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So much that um, pretty much your love for this movie is how we both ended up doing a commentary track on the recent Blu-ray release for Welcome to the Dollhouse.
0: Yeah, so the good news is that Harmony and I were asked to do a commentary track for the Radiance Films Blu-ray release of Welcome to the Dollhouse. It is a Region B Blu-ray, so if you have a region free player you can enjoy that um but actually you can't because it already sold out it sold out really really fast Mm -hmm. so sorry about that um hopefully there'll be another pressing of it but yeah harmony and i were asked to talk about welcome to the dollhouse uh, on the blu-ray release and that is wild as hell
1: and that's why we haven't done this until now Exactly. Because we wanted that to be out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we wanted that to be out, and then it sold out really quickly. So, uh, whoops, sorry about that. I guess this was supposed to be crossover promotion, but it already happened. (laughs) I mean, just keep your eyes peeled for if it happens again, I guess. Definitely. Um, But yes, we are talking about Welcome to the Dollhouse, a movie that was very seminal for me growing up, and a movie that uh, I... Did I introduce you to this movie or had you seen it before? Oh,
1: no, I had no idea what this was before. Okay, sure perfect. That's
0: what I thought. Um, And yeah, so a movie that I unleashed upon you and then you also were like, wait, this is great. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. um, I guess just to get my history with this out of the way is there was a number of films that you showed me in like the early parts of us dating just to see if like one, we synced up and two, kind of as a test, I think.
0: So, I wouldn't call it a test. It was a test. You so wanted to speak. see if I could hang. <laughs> okay, kind of. So, the way that I view a film like Welcome to the Dollhouse is there is obviously, and we will get into it, a lot of stuff that has aged very weird. Um, that if you're not prepared for it, hearing some of the things that these kids say and some of the things that they do can be really jarring. And to me, something like Welcome to the Dollhouse is sort of a Rorschach test of, How a person responds to this movie, I think, says a lot more about them than what the movie is actually saying. And so I like to show movies like this to people because if you understand this movie on a level that I do, then chances are... We are going to understand each other on levels for a variety of different things that require a lot of fucking nuance. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like a really quick way to be like, all right, so where where are we at? Uh, do you think this movie is like an unforgivable piece of shit or do you understand what's happening here? Because that's going to let me know how you're going to feel about a lot of issues real fast.
1: It's true. And this is not even... Close to the most like I would say confrontational mm-hmm.
0: movie you showed me during that era definitely um, and you know obviously this is the 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 general statement we'll put up front if you don't like this movie if this movie makes you uncomfortable. I get it. I don't think anyone's a bad person for not loving this movie or if this movie doesn't resonate with them um, by any means. Like, this is not a judgment call. This is just something that means a lot to me personally. And a lot of people that I tend to keep close company with have pretty similar feelings about this movie, and I think it says a lot about who we are as people.
1: Uh, I think it also says a lot about where we come from.
0: That, I think, is a very important part, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because, like... This is not the Midwest.
0: No, it's Jersey.
1: But this is like suburban in a way that feels excruciatingly Midwest. Mm -hmm. This feels like a lot, like in terms of land mileage, this is a lot of the US.
0: Yes, I agree. And if you have somehow not seen Welcome to the Dollhouse, here is your brief synopsis. An awkward seventh grader struggles to cope with inattentive parents, snobbish classmates, a smart older brother, an attractive younger sister, and her own insecurities in suburban New Jersey. It's an odd choice to call her, like, four year old sister attractive. She's not four, but yes, that is a really weird choice of words, but also I get why that's the way they put it. I would
1: say that she's, you know, Appealing, she's lovable because mm-hmm. she's she's the the precious little angel that everyone adores.
0: Yes, and we I can't wait for us to dissect the Wiener family. Um, so, welcome to the Dollhouse. Did a festival run in 1995. It won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance, so this is assuredly a festival darling. But it really won over critics pretty quickly because. Mm-hmm. Without something like Welcome to the Dollhouse, we would not have something like Pen15. This is, I don't want to say like the origins of like coming of age cringe, but this is kind of like the patron saint of that subgenre.
1: It's honest in a way that a lot of other films aren't.
0: Totally. Um, Welcome to the Dollhouse is so monumental because it was unafraid to show how awkward and terrible uh, the junior high years can be in a mm-hmm. way that is so authentic that it, like, physically pains, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so this won a lot of people over. Roger Ebert famously said that it was one of his favorite films of the year. When it eventually did go to theaters, it made a lot of money for a movie that was shot on, like, nothing. Mm-hmm. But it also comes out in a really interesting landscape of the 90s. So what kind of context are you bringing to the table this week?
1: So I don't want to go too much into the context of this purely because we just did Empire Records. We just did Scream 2. So we have sort of an idea of what this specific part of the 90s looks like, and I don't want to be redundant from episodes that we have just covered.
0: I love that you brought up Empire Records because Brendan Sexton is also in this movie, and we didn't intend to have both of those movies go back-to-back, back, but it was a scheduling issue with our guests, so it just happened. So we're talking about him two weeks in a row. What
1: a what a rapscallion he is.
0: <laughs> Seriously.
1: So during this era of the 90s, like, the teen blockbuster isn't really a thing. Um, like... Clueless did stuff, but the effects of Clueless aren't going to be really strongly felt until things get written and put into production, and that's going to come out quite a a ways down the line. Mm -hmm. In the immediacy, you're going to have more of the teen canon be influenced by Scream. Mm -hmm. But outside of those, this is a really exciting time for indie films.
0: Yeah, oh my god, the mid-90s was a great heyday for indie films.
1: Mm -hmm. You have your your Rodriguez's, and your Tarantino's, all having box office success with films that cost virtually nothing to make. And that's, I I think that just influences the landscape of independent films around this time in general, Mm -hmm. where you start to see studios taking more of a chance on these films, because they cost nothing. I think this is a $800,000 budget. Yeah, something like that. And so... Studios, I think, are a little bit more likely to pick up these films that weren't made for very much because it's easy to get your return on them, either from mm-hmm. the box office or rentals, because the rental market in the 90s, I think, is is very kind, at least as I recall.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And this is also a time where people were getting experimental and weird, and it wasn't completely shut down i mean we're getting part two of gregor rocky's teen apocalypse trilogy with the doom generation in 95 Mm -hmm. um that was a huge deal so that's that's something also to keep in mind is that this was a time period where making films was becoming more accessible obviously not to the point that it is now where you can just make movies on your iphone but not not to the point of tangerine, <laughs> right? No, we're we're not quite there yet, but it is becoming easier to make films, mm-hmm. um, independently, and because the market hasn't been oversaturated yet by just shit. Like yeah. that sounds awful, but like but by by shit. But the two thousands that is absolutely a thing though. Yeah, um, so we're not there yet. So if you do have something that's really cool and produced independently, like it's not going to get lost in the shuffle and it's not going to get buried.
1: Yeah, I think that there was. Um, an accessibility to you know the, the the filming tech that people had in the '90s, particularly the mid '90s, and it was it was low enough that any a lot of people could get into films and make their movies, but it was still just expensive enough that it kept out uh, a lot of the schlock that we would get in the 2000s when things went much more digital.
0: Definitely, and we're still in a heyday of video rentals, and mm-hmm. I know that Welcome to the Dollhouse performed very well on video rentals. One, it has like a really fantastic box cover art um it's bright it's got all of like the magazine clipping lettering it's really really cool that's definitely how me and my friends saw it and we watched this constantly when we were kids we were like 12 13 years old you were the age we were the age i mean this movie to me this is a coming of age story but is definitely geared towards an older audience mm-hmm. i think like if you're a 12 or 13 year old kid watching this you kind of have to be with it. Like, that sounds bad and shitty and, like, like I'm judging children. But, like, this is a tough movie and you kind of have to gauge, like, can my kid handle this or is that going to be too much? I mean... Because it's really extreme in a lot of instances, but also extreme in ways that are not unrealistic.
1: I agree. I don't think that you... I'm not going to say that this isn't a thing that does happen, but I'm going to say that we're a little bit... We have a little bit more of a softer touch about dealing with actors this young mm-hmm. and stories about kids this young nowadays. Mm-hmm. And this movie's kind of fucking nasty. This like it's, movie's so nasty. It's so mean. Nasty. It's, it's so really mean. <laughs> mean. It, it almost feels like Todd Salonza hates his characters because he's putting them in such horrible situations. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, though, like, it's so real. Like it's mm-hmm. so real and it's so uncomfortable. And it is willing to talk about a lot of things that I think happen around the junior high age that we just either have blocked out because it's so fucked up um, as we've gotten older or we really don't ever want to go back there. I know we had a similar conversation about it during our eighth grade episode with Addison Peacock. Oh, yeah. Which that just turned into all of us just – Airing out all of, of our, storytelling, all of our adolescent drama. <laughs> um, but I think Welcome to the Dollhouse does something similar, but does so in a far more extreme way. One because it's the '90s and you can kind of get away with that, and two because we we weren't being as careful mm-hmm. uh, at that time. But I I wouldn't change Welcome to the Dollhouse for anything. It needs to be this horrible and nasty mm-hmm. um, because for a lot of us that period of time in our lives is the most horrible and nastiest time period we're ever going to live through.
1: Oh, seventh and eighth grade. That was the worst time I ever had in school. Oh, God. And it's not even close.
0: Oh, God. It's rough. But we, we will certainly get, uh, get into all the nitty gritty after everyone's favorite part of the show.
1: Happy April prom party. With spring comes new changes, as if we don't have changes on the Patreon every single month. Some of the things that you can find on our Patreon this month includes the monthly This Ends a Prom wellness newsletter, a playlist made by me that's kind of just inspired by boy genius, since it seemed like the right thing to be consumed by, (laughs) and our suggestion box, which... You're all going to be really excited because we have uh, quite a few films that are coming straight from there to your feeds in the coming months. For our Sadie Hawkins dance mini-episodes, we have some uniquely different coming-of-age stories for boys in Rushmore and The Karate Kid. And I have some strong feelings about The Karate Kid having watched it after the next Karate Kid. We'll get into it there. We're also working our way through freaks and geeks still. Thus far, no misses. We're just having like the best time with that. And for our musical milestone episodes, we're being joined by our buddy Ben from Biff Radio to talk about the Empire Records soundtrack. And speaking of our friends.
0: Hello, hello. This is Grace Lazos, the founder of the nonprofit theater company Broadway Bots. We are the first fat-positive, size-inclusive performing arts organization in New York City, and we are dedicated to doing all we can to end fat phobia in the performing arts. Our first fully staged production is coming to the Crane Theater at the end of April, and we're inviting you. Come see Andrew Lippa's The Wild Party April 28th and 29th at 7 p.m. or April 30th at 2 p.m., For behind-the-scenes footage, previews, and early access to tickets, subscribe to our Patreon. For more information on Broadway Bods, check out our website. Thanks for listening!
1: Grace is just the absolute best, and so if you're in the area and you're interested in going to the shows or anything else that she and Broadway Bods are doing, like, you're gonna have a great time. It's spectacular. But with all that said, back to today's movie!
0: Alrighty, so Welcome to the Dollhouse is all about Dawn Wiener. This is the breakthrough performance of Heather Matarazzo, who all of you, I hope, should know, is the best teen cinema BFF, Lily Moscovich, in The Princess Diaries, but this is her breakthrough role. Oh my god, she's phenomenal. But I want to know, Harmony, how you feel about the character of Dawn Wiener. I
1: love Dawn, but also I recognize that if you're in school with someone like Dawn, mm-hmm. she is poison. Okay. <laughs> she, she is like someone has poisoned the watering hole. And if you would go there, then you're done. Mm-hmm. Like socially, if you are nice to this person, then you become a target for everyone in your school.
0: Oh my God. that Okay. That, let's break that down because that is such a thing. And it's really fucked up that this is a thing and I, we just don't talk about it. But there were kids, I think, in everyone's junior high or even your elementary school or your high school for that matter, where there was that one kid who was just way too weird or way too gross the or is, what have you. The
1: thing is, I don't even know if it's they're they're way too weird or way too gross. I think they're just a little bit. It's this, yeah, that's it's a good this point. one thing that's slightly off about them mm-hmm. and people hyperfixate on that, like, oh yeah, no, she farts. She farts all the time mm-hmm. or like, oh, my God, he's got such bad acne or like he picked his scab and then it just bled everywhere in, in Spanish class. Like it's that one thing that makes everyone go, ew. And then you notice that one thing and then you start to judge every other little thing that they do. You, mm-hmm. you be, they, be, they become like a, a subject at the zoo that you observe like as a school.
0: You're definitely right and it is that thing that the second you extend that person any sort of kindness, even if it's just like, oh, hey, you're all just being way too mean like I'm going to try to be nice and befriend this kid, then you're fucked now too. Oh, you're persona non
1: grata. Yeah. You're done.
0: Like, God, like during adolescence, it is like so scary, (laughs) like the way that so many kids interact with each other and how awful they are.
1: Oh, yeah, especially because most of the time it's not even like, I say this as a person who was this kid. I was, I was a loser kid mm-hmm. and it was just like, it, you can't blend in when you're a giant. Mm-hmm. So it's just these little things that are not your fault. Mm-hmm. Like what's Dawn's deal? Um, I don't know. She's not mature enough or mean enough mm-hmm. and therefore she just kind of can get attacked because she's like socially like a year or two behind everyone, maybe. Right. That that's her biggest crime. That's what's wrong with her and why everyone hates her.
0: Yeah, there's like nothing inherently wrong about Dawn. Like she's very sweet. She has a little bit of anger issues, but it's because she's getting shit on all the time. Mm-hmm. She is but the But that's per- a
1: result of her treatment. Yeah,
0: she's the personification of like the middle child syndrome that we talk about because her older brother's really, really smart, and her younger sister. Like, just because of genetics, is, like, that cute little girl mm-hmm. that, oh, she does ballet, and the she's apple so apple of sweet. mom's eye. Yeah. Mom, who is
1: absolutely not mink stole, but might as well be. Right?
0: Oh, God, she has such Dreamlander vibes. I love her. Um, But, yeah, there's nothing inherently wrong with Dawn. She's just off. And, you know, you have the people... In in schools who say, like, well, you know, why are you so mean to me? And they're like, because you're ugly. That's, in the, that's what it is, is though. Which is so fucking mean, because also she's not ugly. No. Like, they almost didn't cast Heather Matarazzo because, of like, she's too cute. Because she is. She's so fucking mm-hmm. cute in this movie. And especially when we see her later on for mom and dad's anniversary party. Dawn is dressed so cute. Her mm-hmm. outfit is amazing. I love her. Um, so yeah, people are just mean as fuck to Dawn and she doesn't deserve it. And then they act surprised when she like lashes out at people and it's like, well, you've been dumping on her for her whole life. What did you expect? And it's
1: so weird because thinking about like her not almost not getting cast because Heather Matarazzo is too cute. Mm -hmm. But then people learning from like the students and the treatment of this character later on and then asking Heather Matarazzo like, How does it feel being so ugly?
0: Okay, yes. Thank you for bringing that
1: up. how do you go from those extremes? Because it's all just, it's influence. It's, it's following the herd. It's the peer pressure of you listening to, like, 12-year-olds.
0: Right. Okay. So, this was a thing that we learned doing research for the commentary track that I was just, I'm unsurprised because this is also the decade where people were doing countdown clocks for, like, when Mary-Kate and Ashley were turning 18. Like, Mm -hmm. the 90s and the early 2000s is a fuck time period. But- Heather Materazzo is obviously very, very adorable and, like, the sweetest thing. Mm-hmm. And yet, because the movie paints her as this kind of loser, um, you know, she's she's the underdog character, um, when it came time to do, like, the press junkets, full-ass adults were asking, like, teenager Heather Materazzo, who was, like, maybe 13, 14 years old at the time, like, how does it feel to be so ugly? One, why would you ever in a million years ask that of a child. Two, that's not fucking true. And three, exactly what you said. The only reason they feel that way about her is because the movie is presenting her in that way. So like, way to admit that you're media illiterate and don't understand acting, full-ass adults of the press. I mean,
1: it's the same thing that we saw with Hereditary. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my
1: God, don't get me started. Where it's just, if the movie portrays someone in a certain way, particularly if they're a young girl, then people go, yeah, no, absolutely. She's ugly as fuck. Look at her,
0: Which, and like uh... that,
1: they treat it because like the narrative then influences reality in this really disgusting way.
0: Yeah, and so the thing is with Millie Shapiro in Hereditary is like one, she has a condition. Mm-hmm. Um, she has the same condition as Get and Matarazzo, so it's always really infuriating. Whenever I, like, look at her doing – she makes a lot of hereditary jokes on TikTok, and they're really funny. But people will flood the comments with, like, you look like Gaden Matarazzo. And it's like, you're only saying that because they both have the same condition. That would be like telling every person you know in a wheelchair that you look like someone else in a wheelchair. Like, mm-hmm. don't stop being gross. You look like
1: Joe from Family Guy. Right. Like,
0: fuck – Jesus. But it's like, stop being fucking weird. People are – ugh. I, yeah.
1: But people. It, bastards. But it's just <laughs> – it's, it's so strange that that is – the influence of things, but I, I suppose it's just, I don't know, you you get told a thing by someone, even if the mm-hmm. characters aren't real, and then you just believe it.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's... that makes me think of that Tom Segura joke where he talks about how he thought Tommy Lee Jones was gay forever because his dad told him that one time and he just never <laughs> interrogated it.
1: Oh, I thought he was. Right.
0: <laughs> where it's like, so many people are just told something or like a movie presents something to them, and like that's the end of it. They're like, oh, well... You know, this movie tells me that baby Heather is a weirdo, therefore she is. And it's like, n- no, it's interrogate that, you, uh. I mean, it's a
1: regurgitation of information and also just, I guess, uh, not really interrogating a sentiment that you have. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, I have a feeling and I'm not going to really think about it. But, like, that's what mo- this movie does very well, mm-hmm. which is that it makes you spend time with Dawn. It makes you spend time with why she is the way she is and how she's treated as a result of everything. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you watch this movie and you don't walk away with empathy towards her, that's a you problem.
0: I agree completely. So sometimes I have seen people make critiques of Dawn of that like, oh, Dawn has a problem or Dawn has whatever. And they will cite moments in the movie as like symptoms of that. The easiest example is when she is cutting off the heads of her sister's Barbies. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, oh, look at her, that's a violent tendency. She's destroying her sister's toys. Or the the hammer situation Mm -hmm. (laughs) where she stands over her sister with a hammer in her hand and they're like, look, she was gonna do that. She was gonna commit violence. And so here's the thing. When kids are that young, emotional regulation is not their strong suit. Mm -hmm. This is why you will get kids throwing desks in class because they're super angry and they don't know what else to do with it and it's got to come out somewhere and it comes out in these very destructive ways because they don't have good coping skills. Oh, yeah. Dawn has been... Set up for failure by her parents. She has no emotional regulation or coping skills because everybody treats her like shit all the time. So it makes total sense to me that this is how she's going to feel about things. And the fact that she doesn't actually bash her sister's head in with a hammer is proof positive that, like, Dawn doesn't actually want to hurt her little sister. She wants to hurt the situation. Mm -hmm. She is mad about how she is treated and doesn't know what to do with that. She has misplaced anger. Like...
1: Absolutely. Um, I'm I'm sure that a lot of people have gone through that. For me, I internalize my negative feelings. So like when I was in like second grade I would get frustrated, I would hit my head on the desk and they're like, Your child's fucking your child's fucked up. <laughs> you need you need to do something about your kid if like that's how he's expressing himself or I would get home from school and my mom would be like, hey, you need to go cut the grass. And I'm like, can I do it in like an hour? Dragon Ball Z is about to be on. She goes, no, you can't. You have to do the front yard before that. And so I'm like out there cutting the grass. That's like a nine-year-old going like, that's it. I'm going to kill myself if I don't get in time for Dragon Ball Z. I hate you, mom.
0: Okay. Yes. Okay.
1: But like it's – I don't think about that past like the instance of like how am I going to do it? Wow, right. How How is this even going to happen? Am I just going to, like, lay down in front of the mower? Like, <laughs> I didn't put any thought into the actual thing. It's just I had this intense feeling of, like, how fucking dare you? That's not fair. And... That's how it came out.
0: So I don't want anyone to think that, like, my laughter is making light of this because there are absolutely, I mean, I'm smiling. You can
1: hear the smile. (laughs) Right. But, like,
0: I don't want people to think that I'm laughing because I don't take it seriously. I'm laughing because this is such a relatable feeling. Mm -hmm. I can't count. Like, I... There's... It's impossible. The number is an impossibility of how many times between the ages of like 9 and 13 that I either said I was going to kill myself Mm -hmm. or closed the door and screamed like I fucking hate hate you you. I wish you died or whatever I don't want to live here anymore like a lot of that shit and like again that's not to say that kids of this age can't legitimately have suicidal ideations I definitely did but more like 9 times out of 10 no it wasn't it was just me having so many emotions and like nothing to do with it so everything was the most extreme version of it as humanly possible it's like
1: kids don't understand what hyperbole is it's just like i'm gonna jump to the biggest possible thing i can do in this moment yes how am i gonna hurt you mom i'll kill myself then you'll feel bad i'm gonna
0: hold my breath and then you'll be sorry exactly (laughs) it's that kind of shit shit like
1: that where it's like i don't i don't know like i think that dawn is mature enough that and like kind enough that when she stands over her sister's bed with a hammer (laughs) And just goes like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna actually do it. And then doesn't
0: not gonna do it. One,
1: I think she's too kind and would feel bad about it. As we see, she has like deep regrets when her sister goes missing. But also, I think that like, to, to some degree, she thinks about like the process of what's going to happen. You know?
0: Oh yeah, like because Dawn is an empathetic person, she, like to a fault almost. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh God, I love her as a character, but it's impossible to talk about Dawn without also talking about the family dynamic that she's in. Mm-hmm. I think her parents are the easiest ones. So like Papa Wiener, he's kind of a non-issue. He's like a he, he's a Wiener. He's he's a fucking do nothing dad who is just kind of there to occasionally be like son. Like that's just. He he's not there.
1: Dad, Dad will. This is the kind of dad that steps in when he needs to. Mom is going to handle everything, and eventually the dad's going to be like, "Listen to your mother."
0: Yeah, that's Harv is his name. Yeah. yeah, Harv is very much that kind of dad. He's the dad that we see. I think pretty frequently now, where not necessarily he's like the jokey Kevin James sitcom dad where it's like offensively stupid, mm-hmm. but he just doesn't do it. Like he's so detached from his actual family. And the person who genuinely is in charge is mom. Mm-hmm. And she is a firecracker. She is mean. She absolutely fucking picks favorites. And oh, yeah. is not like subtle about it in the slightest.
1: No, I think mom's issue is that Mom doesn't like Dawn because Dawn doesn't have any value. Like Mark's smart. He's a smart kid. He's gonna go to a nice college, get a nice job, gonna go be a Silicon Valley billionaire or something. Gonna go mm-hmm. work in tech. Mm-hmm. The younger sister, Missy, she's cute. Everyone loves her. Look, she's a she's a perfect little angel of uh, of a little girl. She she's feminine and flouncy and is so cute about everything and like that's what you want in a little girl and dawn doesn't have anything that you can point to as like a parent and go i'm proud of that aspect of this child Mm -hmm. so then mom is like ashamed of her
0: okay yes mom is so clearly ashamed of dawn and i think it's not even just shame it's also embarrassment Mm -hmm. like dawn embarrasses her and dawn embarrasses like her family and we see this constantly in this movie where like Dawn will do something or something bad happens to Dawn or what have you and it does not cross anyone's mind. Like when Missy goes missing, Dawn goes missing at 1.2 and it doesn't fucking register to any of them. Mm -hmm. They find Missy and Dawn calls from New York City like, well, did anyone notice I was gone? And it's like, nah, they found Missy. We're good now. Just come home so you don't get in trouble. No one even noticed she was gone.
1: Like that is such a thing for certain parents like I think probably in smaller towns where everyone knows everyone's business even if Mm -hmm. it's behind a closed door I think that's significantly more emblematic because you you in a big city you can kind of fade into the background a little bit even like in your own communities or whatever it's possible to just be like a faceless person that exists out there Mm -hmm. but in a town of like I don't know 10,000 or less Mm -hmm. oh everyone knows everything I know that your situation was a little bit different because like your dad was an elected official so your reflection on him and all of the shit he did working for the city. But for me, it's like, oh no, as soon as I like came out as trans or something like that, oh, it was all the fucking thing. I was infamous mm-hmm. and my mom was not sitting there going like, oh my God, how can I help my child? My mom was like, well, how's this going to reflect on me? Mm-hmm. Look, look what you did. I'm hearing that like you're wearing women's clothing and like, what's everyone going to think of me as a parent? Mm-hmm. It just, it's this immense regrets and shame and somehow being narcissistic about you as a parent going like, well, I did something wrong and now I'm being punished for it.
0: There's a line in the movie Fido, the zombie comedy movie Mm -hmm. that I think about all the time in regard to these types of parents, which is when Timmy's outside and he's playing baseball and he's throwing the baseball against the garage door so that it bounces back to him. And she goes, honey, don't play ball by yourself. The neighbors will think that you're lonely. Mm -hmm. And like that to me sticks in my head whenever I think about these bad parents. And I'm going to be very careful in how I describe this because if I give too many uh, descriptives, uh, it'll become very obvious I'm talking about. But there was a family in my hometown and they had three children. And the youngest child and the oldest child were both gorgeous, like model gorgeous and the middle child was cute like not nothing wrong but like wasn't like drop dead gorgeous yeah
1: next to her siblings
0: yes Mm. and then also the things that they were interested in were different and i will say all three of them were exceptionally talented but the youngest and the oldest were really into things that were traditionally very feminine Mm -hmm. so like like, gymnastics and ice skating and, like, that sort of, like, artistic sports. Mm-hmm. Middle child, jock. Middle child, very much jock. Um, this middle child also ended up, um, at one point, being married to the kid that I know we've talked about during, like, our bad episode, where it's, like, the people don't forget... Uh, where he's the one who wiped his boogers on the reading carpet in kindergarten and mm-hmm. we've never forgotten it. Like, all of us know that. So then she married that guy and we're like, oh, no, she married the booger guy. Okay.
1: But, like, for real, <laughs> but, though? like,
0: you don't forget that. You
1: don't forget the one thing that the weird kid does.
0: But what was so, like, fascinating is, like, watching this family is all of us could see the middle child was treated totally different. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not in their family. We don't live there. But we go to, like, you know, the award ceremonies every year and we all know each other's parents and Mm -hmm. we know who's whoever. And the excitement they would have for the youngest and the oldest child versus, like, the we have to be here for the middle child was palpable. Like, even as, like, 9, 10 years old, we were all looking at it like, man, they really don't fucking like that kid, do they? Mm -hmm. And it was, like, so... It was so weird to watch. And, like, that's what we see in Welcome to the Dollhouse with Dawn. Because, like, I love the line Missy has of, like, you know, she's always bothering me. We should really send her to a reformatory. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that's such a shitty thing for the little sister to say. But mom is like... You know, maybe you're right. We should. Well, and you don't get dessert now, Dawn, because you will not destroy your clubhouse for my personal thing because I have no respect for your space.
1: The clubhouse is ugly and we're do we're not even having like a big va- a thing, which I, I don't know. Maybe the, maybe this is just a thing people used to do and it used to be a bigger deal where like you renew your vows and you make a big hullabaloo of it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I've never really seen that as a thing people actually do, but I've, I've seen it in like movies and stuff. And I think heard it's because for it.
0: all of us, all of our friends' parents just got divorced. Yeah, they so. never made It to like ten years or something like that, or they didn't celebrate. They never,
1: yeah, they weren't happy enough about it to be like, oh god, like fuck. I guess it has been twenty years, shit. Like (laughs) they just they aren't thrilled about it. um But like even that moment though, because mom always takes Missy's side.
0: Always,
1: even if Missy's doing things that are deliberately like antagonizing her sister, even if they're on like the same playing field, it's always Don's fault to the point where it's like, I'm gonna take cake. That you don't get because you won't tear down this clubhouse and I'm going to give it to my other two kids.
0: So shitty. It's not,
1: oh, you don't get cake. It's like everyone else gets more cake.
0: Yeah. Oh, God.
1: It like. It's like the perfect metaphor of like, oh, there's only so much of a pie that can go around. Mm-hmm. It's the. Pr- it's, it's that, but cake.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, It's, it is so upsetting watching the way that the parents just don't give a shit about her. Mm-hmm. And they have put forth no effort to attempt to understand their daughter. Um, which the thing is, like, people can complain about that and be like, oh, that's so mean, that's so cruel. That's real for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot, a lot of people, like, oh, parents aren't supposed to pick favorites. They fucking do. We know that they do. Yeah. Um, and it's very clear that they do for, for this. Um, so the rest of the Wiener family... So, okay, Missy, I think, is the easiest one to talk about. I mean, we've uh, already
1: talked about pretty much all of her defining yeah. traits.
0: <laughs> so Missy is younger. She's really cute. She obviously uh, gets kidnapped by a total weirdo in the neighborhood uh, where it's implied that he doesn't actually, like, physically harm her, but does, like, videotape her He probably was doing going to. Ballet. So, yeah, he either was going to or, at the very least, like, we know he's not doing anything that's, like above the law Mm -hmm. in terms of getting her to do, like, ballet on tape. Weird as shit.
1: I mean, the thing that we have is when they introduce this guy, it's like, who's that guy? It's like, oh, that's right. During the family video thing, Mm -hmm. we absolutely see him hanging out with her.
0: Yeah, it's, oh, God, what a creep. Um, But Missy is kind of a brat, but there's two things that I feel with Missy. Mm -hmm. So Missy gets shit on by Dawn, um, way more than she deserves to because mm-hmm. she actually is kind of nice and she tries but dawn is really combative with her because she sees missy as like you're the person i can blame for how badly my parents are treating me mm-hmm. so instead of recognizing oh my parents fucking suck it's like well uh, they're nice to you so fuck you yeah and also because
1: well, she's she's smaller
0: she's smaller so she feels like okay well i have some power here because I'm older mm-hmm. and that's really important for Dawn. But Missy does try where she'll be like, you really need to talk to your friend on the phone. Like he's so nice to you and you're mean to him. Yeah. Like Missy knows what's up. But whenever Missy is being bratty, it's because she's been given anything she's ever wanted by her parents.
1: Oh yeah. This is precisely her problem is that she is this way because they let her become this way. Yes.
0: Like they encouraged
1: her they to incur- become this way. They
0: encourage her to be mean to Dawn. <laughs> I
1: mean, like, at, it, that's the thing is, like, it's it's whether it's at home or whether it's at school. Like that that's a that's a thing that we don't really talk about. I think that much is that like certainly when we were growing up. If you go to school, it's like, oh no, well. You know, everyone's mean to me at school, but, like, I get to go home and I get to leave it behind. Nowadays, people can just kind of, like, stalk you on the internet and mm-hmm. be a piece of shit to you on the internet, and so you don't get to escape it. But, like, you didn't really get to escape it when we were growing up either. It was just different if you had the right home, if you had a specific home for it, mm-hmm. where you come home and you kind of can't escape your, your your bullshit at home either. Yeah. I was called a fat piece of shit in school and by my dad and brother at home,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then... In very sneaky, you know, carefully worded ways by my mother where it's like,
0: well, you're just, you're husky
1: and we're going to put you in. Ooh,
0: are you sure you need another helping of that?
1: It's precisely with shit Mm -hmm. like that where it's like, I'm going to call you fat, but in a nice way. I care about you. Uh That's why I'm going to call you fat.
0: Yeah, it's concern trolling. Of course. fucking bullshit. (laughs) Yes, but like,
1: she can't escape being treated like crap anywhere she goes. and. She can't even do it in, like, her own room because she shares a room with Missy. Yeah. So she wants a clubhouse. She
0: has, yeah, she has no solace anywhere. So she has her clubhouse that she has with Ralphie. And Ralphie is just, like, that kid who lives in the neighborhood that you're Mm -hmm. friends with because of proximity. Yeah. And Ralphie's super nice and is really kind to Dawn, but uh, he's also smaller than her. So... Ralphie gets treated like an emotional punching bag for Dawn. I mean, anything that somebody says about Dawn at school, she tends to then parrot at either Ralphie or Missy because they're smaller than her. Even when she doesn't know what the words mean, like they call her a lesbo at school. So then she calls Missy a lesbo at home, not knowing what any of that means because it's just so clearly, well, this is an insult because the kids at school say this to me and the kids at school are mean.
1: Yeah, like, and just in pure coincidence... Heather eventually ends up coming out.
0: <laughs> I know, which I do love. I love that Heather Malarazzo, like, is a lesbian. It's um, funny. It's super great. Um, but, yeah, I mean, she – I think that's, like, such a very common kid thing to do uh-huh. where you hear an insult or you hear a word and then it becomes, like, the word of the week and you say it all the fucking time. Uh huh. Um, I think expressions happen the same way, too. Uh, and it, it's just, it's parroting. You're learning, you're trying to like figure your culture out and you're trying to find your place in the world. And if somebody is saying this at you, that's mean and you don't know what it means, you're going to use it because, oh, maybe they'll think I'm smarter or, or older or what have you. hmm And that,
1: that's kind of how the language of this whole movie works where, yeah, is it 1995 and they're using like the R word and faggot and all these other slurs? Yeah. That also still feels like a lot of places like where I'm from. Okay. That's still pretty much exactly the same.
0: Yeah. So there are places in this country where they still talk this way freely and nobody checks anybody on it. And it's really weird that we as a society like to pretend that that's not a thing, but Mm -hmm. it's absolutely a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think more importantly, a lot of the language in this movie, because it's being spoken by 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, they don't fully know what they're saying. And I wanted to talk about Mark before we started talking about Brendan, but I feel like this is a natural evolution to talk about Brendan. Mm-hmm. So, Brandon is played by Brandon Sexton III. There yes. we go. Um, and. Brandon's big thing is that he is – he bullies Dawn, and he calls her really mean words. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also gets picked on at school yep. because he's, he's poor. poor. So he gets shit on all the time. And obviously he needs someone to shit on to feel better about himself, and Dawn becomes that target. Mm-hmm. But when he's harassing Dawn, he keeps threatening to rape her. Uh huh. And the thing that I've gotten into so many arguments with people <laughs> over the years – I don't think Brandon knows what that actually means. No, I don't think so. And if he does know what it means, he doesn't process the gravity of what that situation is. He just knows this is a word that is scary. This is a word that is threatening. And this is a word that men say to women to make them feel scared and intimidating. And that's why he's using it.
1: Oh, yeah. He clearly picks it up from his shitty dad
0: hmm Like,
1: they, there's no doubt in my mind. Because, like, this is the thing that we um, discussed when we did Bad News Bears last summer. Yeah. Where um, I, had an, I had an argument with someone where they're like, oh, yeah, all of them just say a bunch of racial slurs the whole movie. And I go, they don't. One mm-hmm. kid does. One kid does. And this kid is, a like, an eight-year-old or whatever. Mm-hmm. Where do you think an eight-year-old learns language like that from? hmm At home. hmm That's it. Especially if no one around him is using it. That's something that you just pick up from your parents or your older siblings or what have you. Mm-hmm. Like it all stems out from there.
0: Also, it Brandon's dad upon seeing Dawn is like, what did he get you pregnant? Mm-hmm. They're twelve or whatever age they're supposed to be. It's like, what the fuck, man? Um, so you've got that going. Why on. else would
1: boys and girls talk?
0: It's oh, it's so just obnoxious. And you realize, oh, this kid is also set up for failure. Mm-hmm. Um, but she sees his home life and sees, oh, his dad is abusive and shitty. And also Brandon has a brother who has special needs, and this is obviously a very complicated arena. But Brandon is what we would call a glass child. And glass children tend to be the siblings of children with disabilities. So what ends up happening in a lot of these families is that the parents pay all of their time, energy, emotion, attention to the child with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And the child that is abled or the child that is neurotypical gets kind of ignored and a lot of times, those kids manifest their anger at their disabled sibling mm-hmm. and not at their parents. Brandon has manifested his anger at the world.
1: Yeah. Like, hes he seems to really love his brother. He's like, he's a tough kid. He could beat you up if he wanted yeah, to. Yeah, he's
0: really protective of him in a way that I find very endearing because... Mm-hmm. The whole movie we see him and he's definitely putting on an act because he doesn't want people to know how vulnerable he is. Mm -hmm. But when he's around his brother, he's really protective and, like, loves his brother. Yeah. Which I think is so sweet.
1: (laughs) But, like, that line, though, like, again comes back to parents that seem to only love their kids if they have some sort of value. Mm -hmm. where Where whatever merit that the parent thinks is important is how they will see any sort of appreciation for their child, which mm-hmm. this kind of dad is like, oh, it must be toughness.
0: Yeah, you have to be as macho masculine, physically tough as possible. Yeah. Even though he's like a schluppy dad with stains on his undershirt. Yeah, no, he's absolutely that kind of dad. But the fact that
1: Brandon is trying to hype up his brother as like, oh, he's got value because he could beat you up. Mm-hmm. That That's how that's what he sees as having significance to his dad. Yes. and. It's really an unpleasant but super-duper honest look at how parents only like kids if they adhere to what they think a kid should be.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, obviously we see that more more transparently uh, with parents who push out their queer and trans kids. Oh, yeah. Um, because, oh, you don't fit into this mold that I predicted for you, therefore I, I don't kids. want you. wanted grandkids. Yeah, like that selfish bullshit. Um, But this is showing it in a way that isn't, you know, rooted in bigotry. It's Mm -hmm. rooted in like whatever other hangups they have. Um, But while we're still talking about Brandon, like Brandon though does genuinely like Dawn. Like he Mm -hmm. has a crush on her and he doesn't know what to do with those feelings because everything around him is telling him he should not be interested in Dawn because Dawn's a loser, but he does like her. And that's why he's like, don't tell anybody about this or I'll kill you. Yeah, I mean,
1: it just feels like recognizing your
0: kind. And mm-hmm. that's just them as
1: outcasts, because mm-hmm. um, like you have this moment where he tries to like get invited to the popular girls' party or whatever mm-hmm. by bringing her a crumpled up cookie that he didn't eat from lunch, and she's just like, "Ew, no." Yeah, and so I think he wants to have other friends. He doesn't want to be alone, but they are not having him. Mm-hmm. So then that leaves him with like no options but Don, mm-hmm. and also the very mean girl that wants to watch Don shit.
0: Okay, so <laughs> the, the you're going to shit threat is such an ultimate like power move and it is also one of those things that is operating under kid logic. Mm-hmm. Um, it, to me, Tatalance is so good at writing adolescents and the way that like adolescent people interact with each other because no one on the planet is going to use like you're going to shit as like a threat except for a child Mm -hmm. like they're not gonna threaten to beat you up they're not threatening like you're gonna do my homework for a week that's like some shit adults think kids are like oh that's no kids are like little sociopaths would be like you're gonna shit
1: yeah that's some (laughs) like i watched the karate kid and have a really specific view of what bullies are like right which like you even have that a lot with like more younger generations who don't seem to think that bullies actually operated in specific ways in reality or if that was just, like, something that they wrote for fiction.
0: Yeah. There's, like, there'll be TikToks all the time where people will watch a movie from the 80s or 90s and be like, did this really happen? Did people really put people in lockers? And the first thing I think of is there's a vine of, screw you, Jake, of that kid (laughs) getting pulled out of a locker. And that's from, like, 2007.
1: I mean, even from that time, you have that as one of the – little, little vignette pieces from the I'm Not Okay music video.
0: Right. Like, and that's not to say that any of this was good or like, oh, kids today, they don't know how easy they have it. Like, no, they have fucking school shootings. Like, they have it worse. It's different. It's just different. Yeah. It's it's a different situation. But no, that kind of bullying was very fucking real. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) even
1: if you want to, okay, let's just look at this on various sides of the decades. Like, 80s bullies were... Very uh, yacht club, macho.
0: Pop collar. Billy Billy Zabka. Zabka.
1: (laughs) And then when we get to like eighth grade, those kids just kind of ignore you.
0: Oh my God, it's so much
1: worse. (laughs) This is the midpoint between those where they would prefer to ignore you, but they have to see you. They have to deal with you. And so they're going to approach you with disdain.
0: Mm -hmm. And everybody approaches Dawn with disdain, including her teachers who... Like this poor girl gets antagonized by everybody at school and anytime she fights back she gets in trouble which is such a thing that happens and I okay I'm not a teacher anymore so I don't feel I don't feel bad like admitting this on air but our school's policy was always like if there is an outburst they both get in trouble sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I did not run a punitive classroom so first off like nobody got sent to the office unless there was like actual like threats of danger and mm-hmm. Even then, like, we could usually talk it through, but there were a couple instances where I would sit there and watch students, like, antagonize somebody for a whole class period and try to curb it as best as I can, but the second that kid fucking snapped and would, like, finally say something back or stick up for themselves, they'd be like, oh, I guess we're both going to the office, and I'm like, nope, neither of you are going to the office, and also you're the one who started this. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised? Are you surprised that they snapped at you after you've been antagonizing them all period? Mm-hmm. They're like, well, I was just being mean. And then they they like, they like ripped up my entire homework. And I was just saying things like, if anything, they should be in more trouble. And I'm like, no, no. I was like, I'm not going to be mad at the soda for exploding. I'm going to be mad at the person who shook up the fucking can. Oh, yeah. And you shook it up. Oh,
1: yeah. And it's it's such a thing that People turn a blind eye to either because they're too busy and don't notice it. They only notice the outburst or they just choose not to deal with like minor inconveniences like, oh, it'll it'll toughen you up. It'll build character it'll whatever. But like when Dawn is called into the principal's office with her parents and they are just lecturing her about being a problem and how she's a bad kid, there are kids in the background out the window just like. Making jerk-off motions and being little shits.
0: Yeah, because she got in trouble, but they didn't because they antagonized her through an entire assembly. She threw a spitball, missed, and now she's going down and they're getting away with everything that they did. Yeah. Like, and that is such a thing that used to happen when we were younger. Oh, it's because the popular kids, bully kids,
1: are good at being bullies.
0: Oh, because they know how. They
1: know exactly how to not get caught and those are the best bullies.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And, and, like, like, they're
1: emboldened.
0: And people like to believe that, like, that's not how kids are. They fucking are. And the thing is, it's also not their fault. I'm not, like, passing judgment on these kids. It's, again, they don't have the emotional regulation skills. They Mm -hmm. don't know how. So they lash out at each other and they're shits. Yeah. (laughs) And so speaking of, like, shits and just, like, (laughs) really weird ways that people interact with Dawn, I do want to talk about her brother Mark i think is pretty easy mark is bill from freaks and geeks if he wasn't surrounded by neil and sam if he
1: had no charisma
0: (laughs) yeah he is like so forward in like i have a plan this is what i'm doing i'm getting into computers i have no time for girls because i want to have a successful girls will
1: distract me from my objective
0: (laughs) right like he's just that guy and it's like all right cool
1: while you were getting girls i was studying the blade (laughs)
0: So that, but that's very much Mark's character. He's got his eyes on college, like, good for him. But he, at the same time, like, he wants to be in a band, not because he, like, loves music, but because it's going to look good on a college application.
1: I'm not sure it will. I don't, I don't know. I think being in band is, looks yeah. good, pretty okay as an extracurricular on a college application, but I don't know if being in a band.
0: But either way, he, uh, <laughs> he has his little band where I love that he plays the clarinet. I think that's super funny to me. Um, but he brings in Steve...
1: Oh, Steve. To be
0: the lead guitar, lead singer. And Steve only agrees because Mark's going to do homework for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve wants to, you know, be in a band and be a rock star and move to California and do all that. And he wants
1: to be the next Jim Morrison?
0: Yeah. He's like a hunky guy with long hair and that's just who he wants to be. Don is immediately smitten with him mm-hmm. uh, because he's kind of a dreamboat. And I mean, he's
1: a handsome guy who's in her house.
0: Yeah. So he feels attainable in that way. Yeah. And... I love watching Dawn try to impress him because it, again, is operating under kid logic. So it's like, oh, I will be like little Susie Homemaker of like, mm-hmm. I can make you this. I can get you a drink. I can get you a snack, whatever you need. Let me show you I'm like this very nice submissive girl for you.
1: I mean, let me show you I have value.
0: Let me show you I have value. Like a lot of this movie is about Dawn consistently trying to prove she has value to the people mm-hmm. around her and them just shitting on her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the thing, though, with Steve that we kind of learn through through the line. Lines, is that Steve is a horn dog as our most teenage boys especially boys in bands especially boys in bands but it's implied that he's fooled around with somebody who is Dawn's age it's not even implied it's just, it's it's text. fact it's fact um but like as far as like what they do like she says like we finger fucked like once and you know that's uh, hearing that statement alone like <laughs> i don't know what it says about me then it makes me like tense up and be like oh god oh no but i was absolutely doing that at that age cuz i'm a
1: bad person <laughs> You're not a bad person. You were just adventurous.
0: I was You were worldly. I was hypersexualized very young and leaned in.
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't want to project anything on it, but like the girl that Steve was with, that's probably the case with she her. She was also
0: hypersexualized like as the, a young
1: age. The way she dresses versus the way Dawn dresses. Yeah, it's different. Totally and like they different. have this talk and Dawn's like, Do you think I have a chance? And she just goes like Ew, no.
0: Yeah, like it's so mean. Like oh. she's like, no, you're not going to. But yeah, you're right. That's the girl that hit puberty really early, and we've had little bits of this like bigger conversation in other films, but I think it's most evident in this film because it is this age group. It's mm-hmm. not just high. It's not high school. It's junior high. Mm-hmm. But a thing that happens when your body develops before everybody else's, and you're a cis woman is twofold, is that one, you immediately start getting sexualized by people who are older than you. Mm Because a lot of times they don't realize how young you are. Or sometimes they do know how young you are and then that's extra creepy. They see you as easy. Yeah, they th- see you as easy. Um, you don't, they don't have to work hard to impress you. Correct. Um, and then the people who are your age, who, you know, they've known you your whole life and then you came back from summer break and suddenly you have you have jugs.
1: It's, it's that episode they, uh, of South Park where babies have like, <laughs> huge tits, but it's like these little blips. Yeah. But when you're a kid, they're like,
0: oh my God, have you seen them? Yeah and they don't know how to, like, act around you, and mm-hmm. it's really uncomfortable, and it's very juvenile, and it's, like, borderline, like, feral. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you have a tendency to lean towards the people who are older because they at least kind of know how to act and Mm -hmm. they're not going to be super weird or at least in your brain you don't process it as weird you you trust older people to act older correct and it's like oh well they get it and they're not being weird about this okay because you're too young to recognize no the fact that they're talking you in the first place is weird like that's just not a thing that connects at that age to
1: add to the weirdness like the lyrics that steve writes for their band have very childlike qualities
0: And, like, okay, I go back and forth in this when it comes to Steve. Do we think Steve is a creep? Yes, 100%. I think Steve is a fucking creep. Yeah. But also, I think Steve is, like, so obsessed with wanting to be this, like, rock star life that he's grown up listening to all these songs by men in their 30s writing songs about girls that are in their teens.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's absolutely a thing. Um, Like, the the list is so long. Like, Ringo Starr writing a song about 16-year-olds. Leonard Skinner's like, what's your
0: In the eighties, fucking Kip Winger.
1: Handsome ass Kip Winger being his one hit being really fucking creepy. If I remember correctly, I think Kip Winger defended that by going, "I didn't realize the age of consent was 18 when he wrote that or something." Which like doesn't that.
0: help. <laughs> I
1: think that was his defense. <laughs> it's um, so weird. Like lots of wrong songs, even if they don't explicitly state an age, like Leonard Skinner's, "Like What's Your Name, Little Girl," and it's like, right. that, That's just a rock and roll trope of referring to younger women, like even probably as girls who girls. are like 20s, "Little Girl" or like "Pretty Baby," and it's just like it's. It's very specifically aged the way you refer to the, 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 your young admirers.
0: And that's, like, and I want to make it very abundantly clear. I'm not, like, defending Steve by being, like, he can't help it. And he was socialized that way. Like, no, 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 I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, like, that is also an extension of him being fucking creepy. Oh, yeah. Is that he clearly sees this as, like, part of his rock star persona. Oh, yeah. Which is so much worse. We
1: talked about that pretty extensively when we did Almost Famous, where it's just, like, oh, yeah, the shit trickles down from the people that you look up to. Mm -hmm. Like, what is Steve's home life like? I don't know. We don't see it. We don't know. Maybe he is idolizing all of the male rock stars in his life as father figures Mm -hmm. and that's what he's internalized who fucking knows but like steve like steals shit and is is kind of just a dirtbag in the wiener household Mm -hmm. but also he's one of the only people who's genuinely nice to dawn
0: so that's the thing that always makes the 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 relationship And when I say relationship, I don't mean like romantic. I mean just like the literal connection between the two characters Mm -hmm. of Dawn and Steve. So fascinating is that Steve defends Dawn Mm -hmm. when no one else will. Like Mark is so shitty to her. Like get out of my room. Like really rude. Typical brother stuff. Typical brother stuff. And Steve's just like, dude, chill out. Leave her alone. There's not like she's not hurting anybody. Don't be such a fucking
1: fascist. (laughs) Yeah, don't
0: be (laughs) such a fucking fascist. Which is such a like I'm a teenager and Uh like. Uh, kind of line. I mean, nowadays, it l- usually literally means someone's fascist, but still. We, we, were, we were a lot more uh, jovial and casual about throwing <laughs> right. those terms around. But yeah, him, like, defending her, especially while she's wearing footy pajamas, like, mm-hmm. just, just kind of, like, icing on the cake there. Like, of course Dawn's going to be obsessed with him. Like, he's handsome, he plays in a band, but mo- more importantly, above all else, he treats her like a human fucking being. Mm-hmm. And like she is so starved for any sense of empathy or kindness that she's going to be obsessed with him. Of course, of course, of course. Can't blame her at all for how she feels about Steve. I get it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the problem, though, is that Steve, is either that he realizes it and is taking advantage of it because he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Or he realizes it and is trying to like safely put a distance between him and Don. Um, but he's definitely aware that she's into him. Oh, yeah. And the way he navigates it it is, like, weirdly respectful because he's so clearly trying not to hurt her feelings. Um, but things kind of come to a head at the family anniversary party. And it's solely because Dawn is interrupting him having sex. Yeah. (laughs) And so then he's mean. (laughs)
1: Like, that, that, that's... I don't know if you could say which one is the most embarrassing scene in the movie. Like, there's a lot of them. This feels like it might be the most embarrassing one because she has to, like, improvise. Because mm-hmm. she's like, I'm, I look cute. I'm feeling myself. I just got to watch you play. I'm going to come over here and just be, like, presented to you.
0: Yeah, I'm going to throw myself at you, basically. And, and what goes mid-sex.
1: On? And she goes, um, so would you like to join the special people club?
0: And then he drops the R word at her uh, because, lest we forget, that's what we used to and in some places still refer to people with disabilities is that there's nothing wrong with them. They're special.
1: That was, I remember the 90s was when they were pushing that in our schools where it's like, no, 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 no. Don't say that. Say special.
0: Mm -hmm. Don't
1: say gay. Say different. Like Say happy. Like, you're trying to come up with new terms, so then kids would just put stank on those words. It's like, oh my god, you're just, like, so fucking happy.
0: Right. Like, it, did, so it didn't do it anything. didn't do anything. They just found new ways to weaponize it. Like, we'll cover it eventually, but we're going to talk about Superstar with Molly Shannon uh, at some point. But there's a line when they put her in special ed where it's like, you're a special student, Mary. So special. We're going to put you special ed Mm -hmm. and like he presents it as a way that's supposed to sound nice and kind Mm -hmm. but then when you have steve in this movie he's like no this is why everyone's making fun of you and like it is such a gut punch to dawn because one she's being rejected by steve Two, she's now learning that this club that she has with Ralphie, she's actually been, like, being made fun of the entire time because of this. Mm -hmm. And then three, the clubhouse was something that she cared so much about and having because it was the one thing she had. And now she's realizing it was all a big joke. Uh Like, she's destroyed after this.
1: Like, I don't know if you've ever had this. I remember this a lot because teen boys were not the most creative people in the world. Pre-teen boys especially so. But it would just be like, let's find new, interesting, convoluted ways of getting you to admit to things that you don't know what it means. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the classic look at your fingernails.
0: Oh, yeah. Depending on how you look at your fingernails, it says that you're gay or whatever. Yeah.
1: Or like you'd be on the school bus going to like fourth grade and it's like, hey, are you straight or are you a curve? Yeah. It's like, what does that mean? It's like, just answer. Are you straight or are you curved? Uh-huh. And then it's like, oh, he's curved. <sighs> or you just say, oh, I'm not going to. And it's like, oh, I wonder why you don't want to admit it. Or yeah, like,
0: it's just an extension of losers is what. Like It is, but they were always But they, they were get so much worse. Gay.
1: They were always fucking, oh, you bet you're enjoying that hot dog. Where it's like, if you don't fully understand what they mean because you're in, like, fifth grade, sixth grade, and you haven't, like, developed, like, a, a quote-unquote adult sense of double entendre mm-hmm. <laughs> comparatively to, like, a ten-year-old, then it's this game of getting you to say things mm-hmm. or or admit to things that are totally not what you're saying, but it doesn't matter.
0: Yep. It's so fucking stupid. And the thing is, I think this movie handles that very well, Mm -hmm. because this is very much a thing. Oh, especially for its era. Oh my god, yeah. And I think that's also why it's so uncomfortable, because it reminds everybody of this era that, like... We like to pretend wasn't as bad as it was. Or we like to pretend like... It was a simpler time. It was a simpler time. Oh, I'm so nostalgic. Only 90s kids remember. Yeah, do only 90s kids remember being called slurs every fucking day? I don't know. And teachers encouraging
1: it? There was a thing going around Twitter for like probably four or five full days where it was like, man, 2002 in high school seemed so chill. And it was just a bunch of kids in like, you know, polos and stuff just being like, just like, it's like a goofy yearbook video kind of thing. And... Here's 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 the, here's my argument here right now. Is people were like, "Um, excuse me, I got called fag and I got beat up and here's all the problems and also it was the Bush administration and 9/11 just happened. It was not chill." I don't know, man. I'm going to say it's relative.
0: It is relative.
1: We had fewer school shootings. We hadn't really gone to war fully yet.
0: We were on our way.
1: We were on our way, but in 2002, that's very different than even 2003. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to say it was better. I'm going to say it was different. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that kids went to school and kind of looked like they were having fun and weren't fearing for their lives. I'd say it's relative on what's better and what's worse.
0: Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree completely. It's just... Uh, I think Ashley Ray had a comment on it that I really liked that was like, yeah, we all got called slurs every day and that was terrible. But also I didn't, like, people would call you gay and you weren't gay and that was just the insult. Whereas, like, now people will dig up photos that your mom posted of you on Facebook when you were five years old and make fun of you for it. And it's like, yeah, that shit sucks.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Because
0: now when they make fun of you, they're being accurate because they are armed with as much information as humanly possible because everything's been documented since birth. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. So I know we've been kind of jumping around a bit with Welcome to the Dollhouse, and it's because this is such a slice of life sort of movie. Like, Mm -hmm. there is a plot in the sense that Missy goes missing, and then it's the search to get her back, but that sort of just feels like a thing that happened that week. Yeah,
1: no, it's so casual about how it just was like, a thing that happened that week.
0: Right. This isn't
1: the black phone, this is just kind of like, it happened, nothing bad happened, no harm, no foul.
0: Right. And so when Missy does get kidnapped, part of the kidnapping is, by transitive property, Dawn's (laughs) fault. Yeah. But obviously she did not plan for Missy to get kidnapped. She wanted to inconvenience her. Yeah. She was mad, so she didn't give her the note that she was supposed to give to her dance instructor to give Missy a ride home. So then Missy got kidnapped. But also, a thing I go back and forth on is that either Missy's dance teacher fucking sucks because that means that she left a child unattended Mm -hmm. or what is more likely is that the neighbor came by and was like oh i i'm the neighbor i'll do it on the ride home and she was like oh yeah i know him it's fine Mm -hmm. and then in that case it's like This is just another example of, like, adults being terrible. Oh, Stranger
1: Danger was a different beast in 95.
0: Right, because he's also not a stranger. He's Mm -hmm. the neighbor. She knows him.
1: Yeah, but we hadn't had the conversation about how most of this stuff, like, what is it, like 80% of this stuff takes place from people that are either in the family or friends of the family?
0: Yeah. Like, I don't know how it was for you, but I remember two specific assemblies that I was like, that's a load of barnacles i don't believe any of this Mm. one of them was a group came in to talk to us as kindergartners and this is like burned into my memory for whatever reason but they were teaching kindergartners that if somebody is coming after you to like kidnap you or whatever stranger danger kind of thing that instead of screaming like bloody murder or screaming help or screaming fire that all of us should let out a guttural like Oh, like a uh, like a like to try to sound like a foghorn or something and all of us huh. were like no that's stupid that
1: seems like some terrible advice that's like that fucking john mulaney bit of just fucking bit bitten body binder. just fucking being bitten like binder. here's some street smarts of like street i don't marks. i don't know if that's the way to go man oh he
0: came to my school too at oh that's school. right because you're from chicago <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh yeah, bittenbinder did an assembly too. Oh no. This was fine. It was unhinged, but it was fine. I
1: know, but like Street Smarts. <laughs> street Smarts are very different, man. Like I it's the specific, like, oh my God. So one of my favorite things to do is watch old, like, educational or safety videos from the 90s that people You've have just-stopped. Yeah, like, people put those on, like, YouTube, and you can watch this perfect time capsule for, like, how to safely cross the street. And it's like, this should be, like, a four-minute video. Why is it 35? <laughs> no. I love that shit. <laughs> I love the specific ways that we were trying to be so protective, and our information is absolutely maddening.
0: So, this is a gen- general thing, and maybe it'll be a nice little education for those listening at home. Do you know what one of the most effective things that you should teach children with stranger danger on how to escape it? Um... I think
1: it's like, is it like yell ice cream or something like that? No, people... you swear. Really?
0: You get the, the best way for little kids to like, if they're in danger and someone's like coming at them is to get them to scream an obscenity to be like. Hey, motherfucker, get your fucking hands off me. Uh Because what happens is that when people hear a small voice, hear a swear, we all immediately pay attention to it because it's not supposed to be a thing that we hear. So either one of two things happens. Either one, we want to listen because... Holy crap, there's a little kid screaming the F bomb. How funny. And we pay attention to it, and then once we do, then we can see, oh, that's a kid in danger. I need to help. Okay. And then it like it like does something to our brains. But yeah, a ki- you we are like wired to react to a kid yelling motherfucker, get your hands off me or like fuck you, don't touch me, then we are a little kid yelling help. Okay. Which is crazy, but but also like makes sense.
1: That's so true. Like, I think I said ice cream because it was like, I think I remember hearing, it was probably stand up. It probably wasn't actually informative. So this is probably not where I should be pulling my information from, but I'm also not like eight. So it's not the most vital (laughs) thing that I have the correct information on this one, but I think it was like, well, no, but you yell like, oh no, uh, assault or something like nobody wants to watch an assault, but ice cream, people will turn up for ice cream. (laughs) And I'm like, that's, I'm saying this out loud going, fuck man. That absolutely was, like, a, a mediocre stand-up bit. <laughs> Why did I think that was actually real information?
0: <laughs> I don't
1: know. I don't, I don't know. But it's it's weird. Like, um, here, you, you want to hear me be a weirdo? Because I was being safe and wasn't thinking about it. Always. So, probably this was probably like seven, eight years ago. Um, I got asked to go speak at my high school's GSA, essentially. But it wasn't a GSA, but it, for all intents and purposes, it was. Mm-hmm. And it was really nice. I got to talk to, like, high school kids because they wanted somebody who, like, escaped to come back and be like, look, there's hope. Mm-hmm. But in that, it was mostly a lot of people asking me really uh, penetrating questions that I, as, like, a 22-year-old, did not have answers to. Like, what's it like being in love? And I'm like, ah, uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. I haven't gotten there yet. I'm trying just not to be homeless. <laughs> but uh, after it ends, like, all the kids are, like, sitting in front of the school. It's, like, five thirty in the afternoon, and they're getting all picked up, and Being from Cleveland, my instinct is, oh, you wait till everyone get picked up, then you leave. Mm -hmm. But I'm in the suburbs, and I'm hanging out with high school kids, just killing time. Mm -hmm. So that means I'm just this weirdo who's chilling (laughs) in front of a school with a bunch of, like... 15-year-olds, and I could have left, and it's way weirder that I didn't. But I was just like, oh, no, this is just instinct. Right.
0: No, I get that, though, because I used to do the same thing. Like, And granted, obviously, the the relationship is is different, but like, I would be teaching baton lessons at the high school, and I'm like, I don't know, 17, 18, and I've got all these 10, 11-year-olds just hanging out with me, and we're just sitting on the curb outside waiting for their moms to go. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not leaving them there. Like, fuck no. Like... Well, I also grew up someplace that was a little bit more dangerous than you did. Than a rural
1: <laughs> suburb in Ohio? Yeah. Granted, that's where all of the kidnappings happen.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> um, but I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that shit. I'm, I'm not making... I'm staying here. I'm making sure that they're okay, because I don't, I don't trust people. <laughs> that's because you're responsible. And I was being
1: responsible, but I didn't need to.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you were fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just it's just weird, and like things were different in the '90s, and I think like it's really hard to contextualize that for people who didn't grow up in it because it's it's one of those things where like you can't explain that to someone you just had to experience it because mm-hmm. it was a general buy-in. Because when Dawn goes to New York, no one thought to stop her. Like, Why no is this bus small child driver... getting on a
1: bus to go to New York at night.
0: Yeah, no one stopped her they just let it happen whereas like today never that would never fly somebody would be like i have to call this or i'm gonna get fucked by cps as like somebody who's like a, a, an accomplice to this or what have you mm-hmm. um because that's just the world that we live in now it's totally different like Dawn could never get from Jersey to new york by herself um and You know, so when she gets there and she's also just like wandering around by herself, no one stops to be like, hey, small child, what the fuck are you doing here? I Mm -hmm. need to help you. She's just running through the city by herself.
1: Yeah. um, I think that that's why movies like this are really significant is that you need television and films to paint a picture of what a time like this was like in the moment hmm Otherwise, you get people going like, oh, 1995, that was, like, clueless, right?
0: Right. So not only is this a time capsule of the time period in the moment, it's also honest. Like, this isn't an idealized look at that time period. This is a very harsh reminder that we all probably had fucked up childhoods. Yeah, and like-
1: it, <laughs> it's the perks also of, like, independent
0: filmmaking. Yeah, because you can get away with this shit. Because you don't have producers barking down your neck about how this is going to be a problem. Oh,
1: yeah. Like, granted, we were a little bit more hard-edged in the 90s. We were really trying to push some envelopes. But I think that not having people try and give notes, not having people try and pull this back, is not only significantly more impactful for why this film resonates the way it does and captures what it does so authentically, but... It just feels really important in, like, the scope of independent cinema and, like, really speaks to, like, the merit of independent cinema. And I think that we were really nostalgic about this when we talked about Empire Records for several different things we recorded about how I'm just reminisce for a time where we could do stuff like this.
0: I do, too. And you and I have been having a lot more conversations lately as we're becoming hyper aware of how old we are and how things are so drastically different well a lot of things changed in a
1: very small window
0: and that's what it is like the technological advancements that happened like the generational gaps are getting smaller and smaller Mm -hmm. like people who are five years apart in age have completely different lived experiences now um because of technology and how it's changed the way we interact with each other in person and online um and This is a movie where when we talk about like, oh, you could never make that movie today. Like, this is a kind of movie that you could never make today. This world doesn't exist anymore. Um, And it's not just like in the sensibilities. It's like the safety is different. Uh, The way that people interact with each other is completely different. Dude,
1: the world that would let this movie get made in the first place the way it is doesn't exist anymore. It just
0: doesn't. It just fucking doesn't.
1: No one would let you throw like a 13-year-old child into this script and just let them swim.
0: Mm hmm. So I did want to refer to something that I really loved. It's written by an author named Trevor Campbell, and it was for Extra Magazine. And it was titled Welcome to the Dollhouse taught me that beneath all of our moralizing life is queer. And I did want to talk about kind of the inherent queerness of this movie, not just because of Heather Matarazzo's casting, um, but also just because of how the world of this movie is shaped. And as Trevor writes, When I first watched the film, I sympathized with Dawn because no matter how many times she gets knocked down, often literally, Mm -hmm. she gets back up. Dawn I thought was a victim, like me, and that made her good. But to maintain this image of her, I had to ignore all of the bad things Dawn does, like hold a hammer over the head of her sleeping sister and wonder if it would split like a watermelon or crack like an egg. Being bullied is a slow drip nightmare. I once returned to my briefly unattended science textbook to find that a classmate had used a sharpie to scrawl, I hate your sweaters, across its laminated cover. But oppression does not make us pure. Dawn and I still had plenty of metaphorical dirt on our hands. We could be petty, manipulative, horny, hungry, lazy, jealous, and casually violent. We leveraged the same social structures that punished us to punish others because for the bullied, the elusive rush of superiority can be extremely satisfying." When I found myself the third wheel of an eighth-grade friendship triangle, I tried and failed to start a rumor that the pair was gay. We were simultaneously infuriated with and fascinated by our bodies, which we fetishized, ignored, and abused while they silently labored to keep us alive. Neither Dawn or I were unwaveringly good. Sometimes we were monsters and now on the other side of a solid stretch of psychotherapy i'm inspired by her monstrous side because beneath all of our moralizing life is queer and that's funny to me
1: yeah i mean what what's the, in in the classic sense hurt people hurt people mm-hmm. in the harmony sense we're all idiots just trying our best
0: absolutely and that's the thing that i love so much about this is that Todd Salons doesn't paint Dawn as, like, a hero. She's just the main character. She just is the main character, but we can find her to be a hero because Dawn showcases all of, like, the grossest, most awful parts of us that we like to pretend are not there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there's something, like, weirdly confident in that. Like, I'm never going to, like scream at one of my friends a slur because someone else said that to me. I'm old enough now to know not to do that. And I'm old enough to know now to know what those words mean or that I can look them up on the internet if one of my third grade students calls me a name that I don't fucking understand. Mm-hmm. They, they don't need to know I don't understand that. I'll figure it out. I have resources now. <laughs> um, but there is something really exciting and empowering about Dawn and about this movie because it's like, You are, yeah, you are the underdog. You are getting a bad rap. I do understand why you're so angry. This is very justifiable rage that you've got here. But I'm also proud of you for not being a bastard like everybody
1: else. Yeah, I mean, it's just, she's kind of living in her own little world, Mm
0: -hmm. which I don't see
1: as an insult. My mom used to throw that line at me as an insult all the time. But But, that's because I was disassociating and just trying to get by. Yeah. And... I don't think there's anything wrong with just trying to to isolate yourself for your own protection. I don't mm-hmm. think there's anything wrong with how unaware Dawn is of so many things.
0: Totally. And something that is also said in this article that I really loved that says, like, queer folks are always told it gets better. But how can things get better in a senseless world? Things don't always change. And that's why a movie like Welcome to the Dollhouse is a comedy. Um. And... I think that that is also so important is that depending – this is why this movie is a Rorschach test. Yeah. Because there are some people I know who watch this movie and find it deeply funny. I'm one of them. And then there are people who watch this that are like, this is the most tragic thing I've ever seen. And I think that says a lot about who you are as a person. Is a movie like Welcome to the Dollhouse a, like, black comedy to you? Or is this a, like, deep tragedy? And if so, like, that to me – tells me everything I need to know about, like, how somebody views the world. And that's not, like, there's not one way that's better or worse. They're just different. I find this shit funny because it's resonant and that's how I cope with these sort of things. Whereas I know other people see this as, like, terrifying and awful. And, like, that's how they process things. And that's totally fine. One's not better than the other.
1: I think it's a matter of just your familiarity with this world because the people who can lampoon something the best are the people who understand it the most. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why a lot of people are like, oh, no, Shiva Baby's a funny movie. I go, it's not.
0: Mm -hmm. I have
1: a terrible time. Yeah. (laughs) But this, oh, no, I can understand this. Whereas other people would be horrified. It's like, oh, no, no, no. I understand the suburbs. Now you're talking my
0: language. So do you know what it makes me think of more than anything? Hmm. And this is probably going to be jarring for the listeners who don't know this story because I know we talk about it like really early on. But it's like watching people react when you tell them about how your brother died. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Because how did your brother die?
1: Oh, he got hit by a train.
0: Yeah, yeah, he did. And so, like, here's the thing. Like, you're saying, oh, he hit my train. And you're laughing. And
1: everyone's just like, oh, my God, is he okay? No. Yeah, and everyone is
0: always, like, horrified by it because, like, they don't have the years of your brother being a fucking monster to you Uh to, like, disassociate with that. Because in their head, they're like, oh, my God, that's a tragedy. Oh, my God, that's horrible. Whereas you're like, nah.
1: No, see, that's the thing about honesty is, like, I'm very honest about the kind of person my brother was. And so... I don't see it as a great loss that he is dead because he was a very bad person. And like people can say, oh, he has his demons. He gets demons because we want to like him. My transness is like a burden. Mm -hmm. All right, fine. I see how it is. So I'm allowed to fucking, I'm allowed to cut into that shit. Whereas everyone else goes like, you know, he was such a sweet boy. It's like, he wasn't. Don't lie to yourself. Be honest. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's what Welcome to the Dollhouse is. Be honest.
0: It is. It's be fucking honest. And it's just one of those things where like people's comfort levels with things are totally different and that's fine. But like you and I were forged in a world like Welcome to the Dollhouse and that very much has shaped the way that we view the rest of the world. It's a little bit grittier. It's a little bit nastier. It's very much problematic because that's how we came through the world. We didn't get the protection. We didn't get the softness. Mm-hmm. We got bullies that threatened us to shit, you know?
1: I mean, metaphorically speaking, yes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's very obvious that we 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 have developed a sense of humor about this. Mm -hmm. Whereas some people absolutely would watch this and go, "Why are you laughing so much in this episode?" (laughs) I know
0: there are probably some people who are very confused. Like we're having a rip roaring time. (laughs) He threatens all these things. A child gets kidnapped by a would be pedophile. Isn't that hilarious? And it's like, I mean, no, that part's not funny. That's not funny. Other parts of the movie are funny. But how everybody deals with the situation—that's the funny thing. Is that even in like the face of some. Something absolutely terrible mom is still being a narcissistic bitch or like when dad is in like borderline like comatose state and don's like it's okay dad you still have me and mark and dad just howls with like in like <laughs> agony about it it's like Dude, that shit's funny. It's it's
1: it's a fucking tragic (laughs) comedy. Yes, it's a
0: tragic comedy. And anybody who had a fucked up upbringing is going to find this to be like very comforting and like in a fucked up way because we're all fucked up people. Even
1: in like the final moments where Dawn has to go up before her whole school assembly and talk about kidnapping, like that other girl who was really casual about it, where it's like, I got kidnapped, like, last week. Anyway, I'm fine. I can't
0: believe they had her. Like, that's a lie. I can believe. They just
1: cart her out, like, immediately (laughs) to (laughs) talk in front of her peers.
0: Get her a therapist. Leave her alone. But no, they
1: do that with Dawn, and she has to read this whole prepared thing about her sister being kidnapped, because even if she's in front of the entire school, it's not about her, unless it's negative when they all laugh at her. God, they're
0: so mean to her. And then she gets to, you know, she gets to go on her little trip with, with the choir and she sings all by herself. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's where she's she wants to be. Just get her away from the fucking people that make her life hell. Mm-hmm. Oh god. Well, I think that that sort of wraps things up on Welcome to the Dollhouse, a movie that I oh, god, it's just so wonderful. But for formality's sake, Welcome to the Dollhouse is Asking You to the Prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe? Or are you buying Donna tickets so she can go on her own?
1: It's a yes. Uh, I think that this is an absolute spectacular film for what feels like the Midwest but isn't, which means the Midwest feels bigger than it actually is. Mm -hmm. And that is both comforting in that there's a lot more people like us, but also really unfortunate.
0: Right. Um, (laughs) I don't want you to also have our lived experience.
1: No, it's a fucking nightmare. But it's it it's It's a triumph of independent filmmaking, man it This is one of those films that's just inspiring in its writing, and the performances are all perfect, yeah, like Heather Matarazzo is so good in this. oh my God, she's incredible, like everyone is, but especially her because the movie is anchored to her.
0: She's incredible, like easily top five performances by like child stars, mm-hmm. like without a doubt Ugh, the the depth she's fantastic. It's, I love her so much, it's so
1: good, so. Yeah, I watch this movie if you if you're interested or if you've seen it and go, "Oh no, maybe don't rewatch it," or watch it with like our our insight mm-hmm. in mind. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Make it work for you exactly. or don't.
0: <laughs> Alrighty. All righty. Friends, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at the up Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Calangelo.
1: And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour.
0: And as always, thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use Title as our theme song. Harmony, what band do you want people to check out inspired by? Welcome
1: to the Dollhouse. So I needed something um, a little anachronistic sounding, but I didn't want it to be like surf rock per Mm -hmm. se because that's what that is like that's what the welcome to the dollhouse theme is it's like a a surf rock pastiche in a minor key yes so what i'm going with is sort of in a similar vein and it's by an artist named common sense kid the album is a for effort e for attainment
0: (laughs) e for attainment that's great
1: this is actually a ska album that uses a lot of different influences so like there's reggae there's dub there's rap there's electronic there's a whole variety of other styles but quite a few minor keys it's mm-hmm. it's, it's a very very eclectic and fascinating listen in like the modern ska genre of new tone. this album came out just last month in mid-march i believe and i've listened to it quite a bit because it's just extremely refreshing
0: and I think that it's a perfect fit considering, yeah, it's like a surf rock band that has clarinet. So while not entirely ska, we got some wins here.
1: It's, it's, <laughs> it's in the ballpark, you know? It's got, <laughs> it's got a similar sort of vein, like it's just like one door down.
0: And one more time, what is this band called?
1: That is Common Sense Kid with A for effort, E for attainment.
0: Fantastic. Alrighty, friends. We will see you next week. Thank you, as always, for listening. And don't forget, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye.
1: I do. John, you are not leaving this table until you tell your sister that you love her. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.